Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Think about this scene that we just read minutes ago in our Gospel reading. Jesus was tired. Although he is true God, the almighty God who never slumbers or sleeps, as we uh, sang in Psalm 121, the psalm of the day this morning, yet according to his true human nature, he was tired after a long day's journey. And it was high noon, the hottest part of the day, so he sat down next to a well outside of this town in Samaria while his disciples went into the town to get food for them. Just at that time, a Samaritan woman from that town came to the well with her water bucket. She would let down the bucket into the well and haul it back up full of water and then go back into town, back to home. That is where the, the people of that dry and arid land got the water that they needed for their daily use. And so Jesus, uh, tired from the journey, thirsty, and not having a bucket of his own to lower down into the well to draw water with, he said to the woman, give me a drink. We see her reaction. She was amazed at this because Jews did not associate with Samaritans at this time. Jews considered Samaritans to be kind of second-class citizens in God's kingdom. And that's because the Samaritans did not believe the same thing as the Jews did. Some heresies, some false teachings, false beliefs had crept into the religion of the Samaritan peoples who, uh, in part of their ancestry, they were Israelites, uh, the same uh, ethnic group as the Jewish people descended from Abraham. But then later on, when uh, their kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, had been conquered by the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians uh, brought into that land uh, peoples from many other areas and, and regions that they had conquered. And so the, the people who were then living in the land of Samaria had intermarried and become not only a, a mixed race people, but what God had warned his people about in that regard, especially they had become a, a religiously mixed people, no longer only believing the truth of God's word. And so we see from the words of this Samaritan woman to Jesus that, that just as uh, the, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel had been doing hundreds of years before this time, still they had this idea that they could worship on Mount Gerizim in the, the region of Samaria where they lived. That they didn't have to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God, even though that is what God had commanded of all of his people, all the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And so because of those uh, false and, and, and erroneous religious practices, normally the Jews would not even enter into the region of Samaria. But if they had to travel from the southern region of Judea, where Jerusalem and the temple were, up to the northern region of Galilee, where Jesus was born, a, a also predominantly Jewish region, they would go far around the region of Samaria in the middle so as not to have to interact with those Samaritan people of, of mixed race and of, more importantly, of mixed and false religious practice. And at the same time, the Samaritan people also, in return, did not trust the Jewish people and, and also had a, a mutual disrespect with them. And so this Samaritan woman, uh, seeing right away that this man sitting by the well, Jesus, was a Jew, she assumed that he must have that same attitude that most of the other Jewish people of his day had towards Samaritans, that he must despise her because she was 
Samaritan. And also, at the time, uh, single men and single women uh, were, were not uh, socially supposed to interact with one another. So she was even more surprised that he, a man, was speaking to her, a, a woman that he did not know, who was not part of his family, that just was not done. So she was shocked and surprised. But Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And then Jesus said to her, after she replied in surprise, he said, if you knew the one who is speaking to you, you would be asking me for water, for living water, because I am the one who can give you this living water so that you will never be thirsty ever again. That's the essence of what Jesus was communicating to her. But we see from her response that she totally did not understand the point that Jesus was trying to make. She thought that Jesus was speaking about physical, liquid water that you actually drink and that goes down into your stomach and relieves your thirst, your physical thirst. She thought that it would be great if she could have this kind of miraculous water that would make her never be thirsty ever again so that she wouldn't have to do that hard manual labor of going out to the well and hauling up a heavy bucket full of water and then carrying it back to her home on her shoulder or perhaps on her head. Jesus did something strange then. He, he put his finger on the real problem of that woman. He said, go, call your husband, and come back here. As the all-knowing God, Jesus knew that this woman was living with someone who was not her husband and that she had previously had five husbands before, before the man that she was now living with outside of the bonds of marriage, outside of God's will. That simple, short statement of Jesus must have pricked the woman's conscience deeply. So she tried to change the subject, to, to get away from that uneasy topic of conversation. She, she said, sir, I see that you are a prophet. In other words, she's trying to say, let's talk about something else. Let's not talk about me and my problems. Let's talk about some controversial religious question. As you think about the way that we often approach these issues today, that's kind of the same thing that we tend to do when we want to avoid talking about our own sin as well, isn't it? We try to shift the topic, perhaps, to talk about someone else's sin or to talk about the false teaching of some other church or some other denomination or the problems of society or some totally unrelated theological matter. And so the woman said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews insist that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus answered her question. He told her that, well, yes, actually the Jews are right in this particular question, that God did tell his people in the Old Testament to worship him at the temple in Jerusalem and nowhere else in order to preserve uh, the, the proper worship of God that he had prescribed with the, the priests descended from Aaron in the Old Testament. Of course, God always wanted the whole lives of all of his people, wherever they were, to be lives of worshipful obedience to him and his commands. But Jesus wanted the woman to know that there was something bigger that was happening that would soon be brought to its fulfillment. 
that the kingdom of God was coming. And that when Jesus had completed his work of of salvation, of the forgiveness of the sins of the whole world, that all people who believed in God and who believed in the forgiveness and salvation that God's Savior had brought would worship him in spirit and in truth wherever they happened to be in the world through the completed work of salvation that he accomplished on the cross. And although Jesus didn't get into all those details with her, he did plant that seed of helping her to think about something more important than these matters of of worshiping here or there is about to take place through himself, the Savior, whom he would soon reveal that identity to her. And so the woman continued, she replied, I know that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And she wasn't wrong. Jesus replied then with the main message that he had been leading up to all along. He said, I, the one speaking to you now, am he. When we pause and we think about that short statement of Jesus, we see how seriously Jesus takes this statement that he just made. And it dawns on us now that we, sitting here today, we are not just spectators of this story on the outside looking in at those events that happened on that day almost 2,000 years ago. No, rather, Jesus is also talking to each one of us here today as well, revealing to us who he is and the mission of salvation that he came to accomplish for all people, including you and me today, including everyone that we know and care about in our lives. For the Samaritan woman in this account, the two key statements, especially for her and her life, are first, I have no husband. Which, given her current situation then of living with a man who was not her husband outside the bonds of marriage, which is God's will for human sexuality, for her that was an admission of guilt and of hurt and of the longing of her soul. And then, later on in in the verses after the appointed reading for today concluded, and the words of the woman to the people of her town when she went back, she said, Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? With that statement, she acknowledged her sinful lifestyle, which obviously everyone else in the town already knew about very well. But her statement showed that she recognized from Jesus' message that Jesus is the Savior that God had promised to send, the one who would bring forgiveness of sins and new life to all people of the world. She rejoiced in Jesus' forgiveness of her sins and the power that Jesus gives to overcome the sinful ways in our life and to commit to living in a God-pleasing way. The question that we have to ask then is, why did Jesus say to the woman, go, call your husband and come back here? Was he just being cruel? Was he trying to embarrass her? No, he was reaching out a hand of love and compassion to her into her life. He was, he was looking into her life, into her heart and her soul, seeing the dry and dead places of her life that needed the water of life that he came 
to bring. Jesus had offered her that water of life, but the reality of what it was exactly that Jesus was offering just simply wasn't yet getting through to her. And so Jesus showed her in this way through this statement that she really did need that water of life, that she really was spiritually dead and hurting, apart from faith in God's forgiveness and salvation. She realized through that statement of Jesus that, yes, I am empty. He has touched me right where I am hurting most, and he cares about me. He wants to share with me that he knows where I'm at. He knows my sin. He cares about me, and he's not putting me down. He's not casting me away, but he's drawing me to himself in love. Jesus reached into her life with the water of life, and he let her know, I care about you. And that's why we are also sitting by Jacob's well today. We have seen the water of life in Jesus. We have heard and we believe the gospel, the good news of his forgiveness. We know that Jesus himself is the water of life, that he went to suffering and death on the cross for us to take away all of our sins, to pay that punishment that we deserve from God because of our sins against his commands. The ultimate suffering of total separation from God, the suffering of hell that our sins deserve. We know that Jesus rose again for us to prove to us that that payment for all of our sins is completed and accepted by God the Father. That water of baptism, the water of life splashed over us. And it continues to splash over us each day, reminding us again and again, every time we remember God's promises about baptism, that we are the people of God. Because through baptism, he has adopted us into his family as his sons and daughters and has washed away our sins through Jesus. He reminds us that in Jesus, we have eternal life. Already, right now, through faith in Jesus, that even though our bodies someday will die unless Jesus returns first, our life will not end at that time, but will continue with God in heaven forever, for Jesus' sake. Sometimes, however, our problem is that we are just water sippers. We take just a little sip, just once in a while, just a little drink, a little sip. We remind ourselves that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but we fail to realize sometimes fully that we can dive into the water of grace. We can go directly in, submerge our whole body. That water of life, of the water of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness can splash over and flow over into every area of our lives, especially into the most parched and dry, the most empty, the most hidden, the most dead areas of our lives that that we so often tend to try to separate from our God as if we could hide them in secret from him. Jesus is inviting us today to let the water of life wash over us and over every part of our lives and overflow from us into the lives of others around us. Yet at times we are still just water sippers instead of water splashers. 
So think about right now, where in your own life are those dry and dead places that the water of life has not yet reached? In your marriage? In your family life? In your relationship to your parents or close friends? Or to someone who perhaps has become almost an enemy in your life? In your lifestyle? In your work or your play? What are you perhaps trying to hide from the Lord, as if that were even possible? Where is the hurting place in your life, the locked place? That is where Jesus wants to reach with the water of life that he brings. When we see where the hurts are in our lives, when we show the Lord the the dry and dead parts of our life, and when we confess those sins to him, then beautiful things can begin to happen. From out of those dry places, the water of life can spring up by the power of the gospel. Through the study of God's word, through worship life that is genuine, flowing from a heart full of thanks for God's love to us, Christian compassion, servanthood as a follower of Jesus, and as Jesus calls us to do the the difficult thing of taking up the cross, Whatever difficulty or hardship following him through our lives might produce in our life, that is the spirit of truth, the spirit and truth that the true worship of God calls for, that Jesus mentions here. That the worshipers, the true worshipers of God, must worship him in spirit and in truth. We see that Jesus' words to that woman, I The one speaking to you am he. I I am the Messiah. I am the Savior that God had promised many hundreds and thousands of years beforehand to his people that he would send into the world. I am he. Those words are words of pure gospel, pure good news, news of God's unconditional love to us undeserving people. And through those words, the water of life, was pouring over the Samaritan woman, pouring into her heart through faith in Jesus as her Savior, and and then welling up from a heart of faith, overflowing to eternal life for her. Because of this great change of repentance and faith in God's forgiveness through Jesus that had come into her heart, we see that she left her old life behind. She ran back into town. She ran throughout the town shouting to everyone who was there who would listen, Hey, everybody, come out. This man, Jesus, told me everything about my life. He reached into my life. He uncovered my sins, and he has forgiven them. I don't have to hang my head in shame anymore. I can hold it high because I am held high by the grace of God. Could this be the Christ? Come out and see. That water of life welling up within her overflowed to many others around her. That same good news of Jesus comes to us also as we sit metaphorically today by Jacob's well and observe these events. I, the one speaking to you, am he, Jesus says. I am the one who went to the cross for you. I am the one who gave you mercy for your life, 
forgiveness for the sins of the dry and dead and lifeless parts of your heart and soul and life. I am the Lord of the cross and the empty tomb. I'm the one who lives in the middle of your life, not on the fringes and in the corners and periphery of your life. I am living there where you're thirsting the most and where you are hurting the most. Whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty ever again. Rather, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of living water, bubbling up to eternal life. So our response to those words of Jesus is to say to each other, drink up, Christian. Drink deeply of this water of life that Jesus gives. Let the water of life wash over you. Let it fill you up and let it overflow from you to the people around you in your life. People who are also desperately thirsty for the good news of Jesus, the Savior.